2: The Bucs host the Saints in Sunday night football. I've been waiting all day for Sunday night, and it's Florida-Georgia week. Dan Mullen has been playing the role of the villain, like he did a week ago, but isn't it time for him to finally win a big game for the Gators? We'll talk college football with Matt Baker of the Tampa Bay Times on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Verstek. Hey, Brightling Boutique and International Plaza? Well, they're only one of 15 in the United States, so now you've got to go... And check out their gorgeous Swiss timepieces. I'm telling you, these watches are absolutely beautiful. You will walk out of there with one, I promise you. There's the Chronomat Bentley. That's one of my favorites, stainless steel with his gorgeous green face. In April, they launched the Super Ocean Heritage with the 57 Limited Edition. They have welcomed championship quarterbacks, Hall of Famers, championship boxers as clients. But guess what? They treat everyone the same when they come in, and they'll treat you like gold, too. All you have to do is telling that uh, Rick and Steve sent you and you'll get a free $60 Breitling cap when you just try on one of these beautiful Breitling watches. I have to warn you though, you'll probably walk out with a watch as well. So go check out our friends at Breitling Boutique in International Plaza. All right, Steve, it's the biggest game of the year and I would argue that Sunday night's game between the Bucks and the Saints will be the their biggest game since 2008. And why do I say 2008? Because they were nine and three, with the best record in the NFC at that time, and they were going to Carolina, who was also nine and three, to play on Monday Night Football. It was John Gruden, what turned out to be his final year, because uh, they got lit up in Carolina that game and went on to win or lose three more games, lost their last four, narrowly missed the playoffs, including a loss to the Raiders um, and Jamarcus Russell back in the day. And three weeks later, John Gruden and Bruce Allen were fired. And that's how we remember. But that's the last time this football team, I think, played in a game uh, with this much national attention. And for that matter, um, you know, they have a chance to take over with some, you know, I mean, we still got half the season to play, but take over the NFC South. Well, they'd be a uh, game
1: and a half up, and you'd yeah. split the series with the Saints if you win this game.
2: That's right, if which you- is huge because – if you, you know, the goal of course is to win the division, you need one more win than the Saints assuming that, you know, nobody else comes up and start they start losing or something, but um you don't want to have a season sweep to them. Mm-hmm. You don't want to be swept by them because then the the first tiebreaker of course is head to head. So you could match their record. They could go 13 and 3 and you could go 13 and 3, I guess. Uh and you would still be a wild card football team. You don't want to do that. So that's why this game is so important.
1: Yeah, if you lose this game, you're a half game behind the Saints because they've not had their bye yet. Or they've had that's their right. bye. The Bucks they've have had not. their
2: bye. You have not. Yeah. You know.
1: But you're essentially a game and a half back because you've lost a season mm-hmm. series.
2: That's right. Now, you know, I will say this in the Bucks defense. If you recall, it was week one coming mm-hmm. off. Uh, no no preseason games whatsoever. Tom Brady, uh, unfamiliar with the offense, still very unfamiliar with the guys that he's played with uh, and you know, and at full speed. I mean, it's one thing to be out at Berkeley and then in training camp or whatever they were doing, nobody's hitting you. Um, it was a surreal stadium, it was empty. We're in a COVID era, they had not traveled, they had not played a game in that scenario. Uh, it was a sterile environment, they had to generate their own energy. And Brady didn't play well, he had to pick six, a couple interceptions, and and um, you know, he struggled against a football team that if 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 any team was going to start fast it was going to be the saints and the chiefs and teams that have been together with the same coaching staff, the same coordinator, Sean Payton, Drew Brees forever. And so, you know, they, they played not that great on offense. I think Brees had 160 yards passing Alvin Kamara was shut down by the Bucks defense, but the Bucks had the pick six and, and a couple of interceptions. They also had, I think a, a field goal block, as I recall, um, they muffed a, a, you know, a punt, I think. And, and so they they didn't play well in two of the three phases. I thought the defense played okay, and they got beat. But this is a much, much different and much more confident Bucks team this time around. However, um, you know, the Saints have kind of been muddling along, and they, they've managed to eke out some wins, including one last week in Chicago against Nick Foles in what was an ugly game, much like the one the Bucks played, except they won. And they have been without Michael Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders during this time. Sanders hasn't played since the opener since the Bucks were there for COVID for an injury that he had. Guess what? They're both back. They're both back, it appears, uh for this Sunday night game. And Alvin Kamara has just been on fire. Uh he I think he is either the first or second guy in total yards, um uh, both, you know, rushing and and pass receiving. He can do it all. Again, they shut him down in the first game, but this is a potent um, you know, suddenly potent New Orleans Saints offense. And the defense has always played well. I mean, I think that's been one of the real unsung heroes of, of this Saints team for several years now is their defense is is pretty darn good. So this is a this is a classic game here, Stephen. I'm I'm thinking that um it's gonna be one for the ages because you've got Drew Brees, you've got Tom Brady. You don't know if these guys will ever meet again. But but there will be some fans, you know, at Raymond James, I think around sixteen thousand. The atmosphere, national TV again. They haven't played well on the road in national TV. This is their first home game on national TV with Brady. So I'm expecting them to come out and play their best.
1: You know, the receivers in this game are very exciting to think about. I mean, if Thomas oh, and yeah. Sanders are back for the Saints. You've got Mike Evans, of course, with the Buccaneers. I don't think Chris Godwin's going to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you've got Antonio Brown joining the mix now with Tampa Bay. Yeah, and you know just that Something. the the offensive firepower these two teams can play when they're at full strength or close to um, should be exciting. Although, you know, as you said, the New Orleans defense doesn't get enough credit over the last few years,
2: Mm-mm.
1: and 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 I would say you know the Bucks are one of the best defenses in the NFL this year. So yeah, it, it's kind of you could see scenarios where this is a really high scoring game or a really low scoring game
2: or a low scoring one. Yeah, it's it, kinda, it, it could it, be. It's kind of hard
1: way. to figure out which way this may go, and you know it may be. If the defense can force some turnovers, it may keep it really low. If not, it may be a little higher scoring, and it's it's kind of hard to tell. I'm, I'm excited for this game. This is look, you got two teams both that you know essentially leading the division five and two and six and two. Mm-hmm. whichever team wins this game, is basically in control of the division, right? You know, whether the Bucks are up a game and a half or the Saints go up a half game with no the doubt. season sweep, so it's almost like a three game swing, mm-hmm. essentially, and, and as far as this game goes. Um, I think you know, and, and have to wait all day Sunday for it. Now the Bucks have not played well in prime time, and that's another no. thing. Granted, they've both been on the road. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so is that a factor in that? Will the, fan, the home fans help that? Um, you know, obviously Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski are used to playing prime time games, but this Bucks team mm-hmm. as a whole isn't. So it, it was some of that part of those other two games where they struggled on, on Thursday night and Monday night. You know, I think we'll find out more on Sunday.
2: Yeah, and I make sure there's some good matchups. I mean, you know, Mike Evans is starting to come back to shape uh, with that ankle, uh, but he faces Marshawn Lattimore, who has given him fits over the years. Mm-hmm. And it's been a great battle. Some some Evans has won, some Lattimore has won. But you add somebody like Antonio Brown to the mix, and that's a dynamic, dynamic player in this league. And he seems to be in good shape. Uh, his energy is going to be high. You know, Bruce Arians has said he could play anywhere from ten to to you know twenty five. Snaps just depending on on you know how the game goes, how many times he's uh, in that role, whatever role that might be. Um, I think we're going to see a lot of them. I think that Brady trusts him, even though uh, he's only played one game with him with the Patriots, you know, last September. Um, but from what I understand, he's picked up you know the offense fairly quickly as to what uh, they want him to do. And in talking to Sean Payton, you know, Payton said the tough thing about about playing somebody like Brown right now is. They don't know how the Bucks will use him. They don't have, you know, he's being integrated back into Bruce Arians' offense with Mike Evans, potentially Chris Godwin, we don't know, and Scotty Miller and Rob Gronkowski. So, you know, he's, he has the ability to play all three positions. How are you going to be able, you know, to cover him when they shift him around, move him around, go into different formations? Your defense is going to have to respond and account for both Evans' And Brown, you can't double everybody, so maybe that creates opportunities for Gronk. Maybe Scotty Miller gets more one-on-ones. It's going to be a problem, and just having him on the field is going to be a problem. So, uh, you know, when he played the one game, I think he was only, you know, in practice for two weeks with the the New England Patriots, and they played the Miami Dolphins. And his first game, he had five catches, uh, including a touchdown. They just absolutely waxed the Dolphins that day, forty-five or forty-three to nothing, I think. And so you know he was a, he had instant chemistry with Tom Brady. A couple of his catches came on third down, so Brady Brady feels comfortable playing with him, and I think you'll see him you know make make a difference uh, in this in this football game. If nothing else, he could create some opportunities for guys like Evans and and uh, any other receivers out there. So it's a big game, and then defensively. You know, the Bucks did not play that well against the Giants. Um, they were kind of leaky uh, in terms of their run defense. We talked to Todd Bowles, who said they weren't driving guys backward. You know, their, their uh, pad level was a little high. Uh, you know, too many running backs were falling forward. They kind of cleaned up some of their run fits. They got better in the second half, and the combination of the rush and the coverage created a couple turnovers and interceptions of Daniel Jones, and that's really what sort of once again sparked the offense, which was unable to get in the end zone the first half. Then all of a sudden you have the interceptions with Carlton Davis and, uh, you know, Sean Murphy bunting, and, and they cash those in. So uh, I think the defense is is uh, pretty confident. They're going to have to try to stop Alvin Kamara, though. And they were able to do that. They had Vita beat Ava the first week. Again, their defense played pretty well, I thought, in that game. But Kamara has taken it to another level because, remember now, for the last three, four weeks, he's been all they have. Um, you know, they, they've got a good tight end. They've, they've got some other receivers, but no one, um, you know, can go in there and sort of replace Emmanuel Sanders and, and all those guys. But, you know, Kamara can do it uh, in the run game. He's, he's a devastating uh, pass receiver. You can get, create matchups uh, with linebackers, with safeties. And the only thing I'll say is I, I think the Bucks are well-equipped – Uh, you know, and I wrote about this or will write about this on Sunday in the Tampa Bay Times. But I think they're well equipped to kind of neutralize Kamara because of Devin White and because of Levante David. Those two linebackers are so fast, they're good in coverage, Um, they get guys on the ground, they can run sideline to sideline, and they'll move Kamara all over the field. But I think whether it's you know putting a safety like Winfield on him. Uh, the key is in talking to bowls is you can't you can 't try to tackle them with one guy. you need to get a lot of hats to the ball uh, and if they can duplicate what they did in week one, which was i think ten carries for seventeen yards and I hurt them a little bit as a receiver um, they would be happy with that so uh it 's got to shore up their their run defense is still the best in the n f l they did give up a hundred yards uh to a rusher um you know last uh, Monday night against the giants but uh, I look for that defense to b- bounce back. And I do think that the atmosphere will help them. They have struggled mm-hmm. on the road, whether it's national TV or not, in dome, in stadiums, dome or otherwise, that just don't have fans. And it is a problem. You have to generate your own energy. And I think you know, for the fifteen 16,000 that will be in-house on Sunday night, they'll certainly be hyped about it. It'll feel more like football, even though it's not a sold-out 65,000-seat stadium. It still matters. It still matters to be able to feel energy – uh, from the crowd, as opposed to piped-in noise or anything like that, so should be a good one at Raymond James on Sunday night.
1: I think there's one more thing I'll be watching too: is the offensive line for the Buccaneers. If Ali Marpet uh, yeah. cannot play with the concussion, this will be the first game they've gone into with one of their offensive linemen not starting. And how look, I think the Bucks' offensive line has performed right. very well this season, a lot better yeah. than I anticipated um and, and I, I think there's a lot of reasons i think one they're they're playing Terrific, with a lot of confidence yeah. but two and we've talked about this with tom brady gets the ball out so quick it brady. helps your offensive line makes them better but they've also run blocked a lot Absolutely. better than they have in years past too yeah um how they deal they have. with that they with, have. you know how they deal with th- that with their depth and i don't think there's a ton of depth on that offensive line so if Marpet cannot go sunday i'm curious to see how that offensive line works together
2: yeah, and, I mean, their you know, they're, they're, uh, options are they, they, they can take Joe Haig, who has played guard. He's been playing that extra tackle position mm-hmm. coming in, you know, in tight end situations. He he can play um, probably the most veteran, the most experienced, uh, and that's why he's on this roster because he has the versatility to play inside or outside, so I could see them using him. But then, um, but then what do you do options? with that extra Shipley. tackle?
1: What do you do with the extra tackle well, if he goes to well, guard? yeah, so... you,
2: you don't have the tackle-eligible guy coming in in three tight ends. That's true. You lose that. Um, but you know this guy's going to play every down if he plays a guard mm-hmm. versus the twelve snaps or so. So I think you would you would find a way. They got Anthony Eclair back, which helps them because he's their blocking tight end, uh, which is one of the reasons I had to use Hag in the first place because Brate and Tanner Hudson do not block True. well. So with Eclair back, I think they can kind of get away with it, and maybe they put another tackle out there if they needed to. Um, but I I kind of look for him. I'm leaning. I, I think maybe they'll go with Hag. We'll see. Um, you know they're, they're gonna you're right though when you've had five offensive linemen and it's rare to get five guys to play every game it certainly helps your continuity and that's how you that's how you get really good and Marpet for the five guys that are playing is their best offensive lineman he's been the most consistent um, he is in concussion protocol it is possible that the independent neurologist could clear him for Sunday's game but at this point as we do this podcast I don't think um, that we should expect to see him play so should be a great game and a very big game, and look, that's why Tom Brady's here. He's here to get you into big games, number one, on national TV against the division rival, and if you want to be the best in the NFC, you're going to have to beat the best in the NFC, and that's been the Saints for the last three seasons. They've taken the crown. Well, you've got to take it off of Drew Brees's head, so what better chance to do it than in front of Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth and the boys, so that'll be something really to watch. Okay, Matt Baker joins us now. And, uh, Matt, it is a huge game in the SEC, huge game for Florida. Obviously, Florida, Georgia, these two teams uh, playing for what is likely a, a spot in the uh, SEC title game, I would imagine, uh, barring some uh, some further upsets. But uh, let's start before we break down that game with uh, some of the things that happened on the field with Florida and Missouri last week. You and I have talked about this a little before the fo- podcast, but uh, – you know, Dan Mullen kind of got into the middle of some stuff, as did his team after a late hit on uh, Kyle Trask. And, you know, some shenanigans ensued after that. Just what, what was your view of that sort of ha- as you've looked back on it? Um, what really happened uh, a- in that game?
0: Yeah, so my view, obviously, I'm watching in the press box. It's the end of the half. I'm I'm kind of starting to, to write or whatever, and, and I look up. I did not see the hit on Kyle Trask. I, I didn't. I was watching the ball. And then I look up and I see a, a guy in white and with a, with a white visor. It looks like he's charging the field. I'm like wait a second, that's Mullen, and he is ticked. And then I start. I keep my eyes on Mullen, and then clearly he, he's upset. And then you see what's going on elsewhere, and there's some uh, starts to a shoving match. It looked like a mosh pit from my angle. Um, it's reminded of my like my my uh, high school and, and early college uh, the concerts I went to. Um, there was a lot of shoving. I couldn't tell who was doing what. And then you look and you see some punches and, and it was ugly. And then uh, all the players go into locker room or, or they're headed that way. And then Mullen is still ticked and he's got to be restrained by his staff and his security again. And uh, finally I'm, I'm on Twitter like what the heck happened? Because I, I just didn't see it. And then you see the hit, which I thought was at best questionable. Um, I, I think it was on the dirty side. And then uh, you kind of start sorting through the, 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 uh, the fallout from that and you know <laughs> Mullen um pumping up the crowd afterward was very interesting on his way out of the field and then he comes back for almost like a curtain call and pumps him up again and, and then after the the game we're in the Darth Vader costume again we're, we're this is such a bizarre thing that we we have to do right now because of 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 covid and everything and i'm not complaining on how i do my job it, this is just it's just a fact so i'm i'm working i'm writing in a corner of the press box somewhere um, and I'm not looking at Zoom because I'm waiting for to, to hear him come in, and then I just see, okay, what do you got? And then I look, and it's Darth Vader on the Zoom. I'm like, <laughs> oh, um, okay, what is some Gators security guy or some Gators uh, SID or something doing as dressed as Darth Vader? What, what's going on? Oh, no, wait a second, that's Mullen. What the heck is going on? And and it was so. Um, surprising and disarming, or I, I was thrown off. And I mean, he's, t- to his credit, I guess he's literally accepting his black hat, black helmet villain role that he's uh, taken upon himself for the last couple weeks. And uh, I don't, I don't think he cares that that that's who he is. I think he, he kind of enjoys it.
2: You know, it, it was bizarre to me um, trying to trying to figure out what was going on because I did see it live um, from the telecast. I didn't have to worry about writing stories on deadline and things like that. Lucky um, you, yeah, that day um, had my had mine on Monday night. Thank you, but it, it was it was just weird. Um, you know, it, it's one thing to protect your players. You should always do that. In fact, his teammates, uh, Kyle Trask's teammates, should have done that. You would you would expect it, but the fact is. There's a really big football game this weekend, and you don't want to get players ejected if somehow instead of pulling guys back to your sideline, you're kind of pushing, you're kind of charging forward. That was the weird thing to me, Matt, was that it didn't seem like he had much control of himself, much less his football team. So there's
0: a couple things here. Um, I don't think Florida played particularly flat in the first half but they certainly came out a lot sharper and played a lot better in the second half. So mm-hmm. I think some of it might've been uh, firing up the team. Um, sure. Mullen was, was asked after the game, what, what were you doing? And he said that he was trying to, to do kind of what you were saying, where, you know, the big game next week, don't want any of these guys in trouble. Got to kind of separate it you now from what yeah. I, that is certainly not what I saw in the press box. And that doesn't explain why when things were done or on their way to being done, he came out and and had to be restrained again. So I'm not entirely buying what he said there, but you you are certainly right that there's there were risks associated with with uh, trying to start something or starting something or having something start. Whatever agency you want to use there, they have a game that's uh, of such magnitude coming up this week uh, against the the Bulldogs.
2: And we won't even. We don't necessarily have to dwell on this, but the fact is, his if he had a mask, it was down, and he was screaming at people. And in a COVID era, that's not what you want to do, or the example you want to set in terms of getting in guys' faces and whatnot. Um, that well, let's, aside, let's, I mean, let's
0: talk about that for for just a sure. second here, Rick. Just because I, I saw this on Twitter, I, I can't remember who I'm stealing it from, but I am. It. You look at colleges in general, and you compare that to the pros. The pros have done here the last couple weeks, especially, I think they've done a much better job of making sure people are wearing their masks and holding them accountable. Specifically, I'm talking about coaches here and holding right. them accountable. Sure. Whereas in colleges, there hasn't been as much of that. I've seen a lot. This is just anecdotally from, from what I see in my, the games I'm at and what I see on TV. It seems like colleges are being a lot more lax in terms of wearing the masks and what have you. And that kind of goes against the way it should be. Because college coaches are supposed to be leaders of men, right, and, and set the yeah. example. And I don't think that, by and large, they're doing a good enough job of that. And, and believe me, there's enough still pictures I see uh, on our website and elsewhere that of examples where that's not going on. So, anyway, I just thought there, there's a little tangent there, but that's something that's been on my mind.
2: No, and I, I don't disagree with you. I think you should be trying to set the example, especially for younger men that aren't getting paid. And and you know, Dan got fined twenty five thousand dollars, not for that, but for Sort of what went on there. So obviously the SEC didn't like um, that example, and it's just the other thing. You know, okay, it was Halloween, the Darth Vader deal. I mean, does does Dan Mullen want to be viewed as the villain? Is this is this a role he's trying to carve for himself out, either with his football team or the SEC, or is it is it just what we see in college football, where you know the the head coaches are sort of the stars of of college football, in as much as these. Players change every two, three, four years.
1: I don't
0: know that he wants to be the villain necessarily so much as he's okay playing that. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I was thinking about it earlier. He's he's a, in some ways kind of an accumulation yeah. of, of – he's got a lot of coaching influences, right? Um, I think yeah. in a lot of ways he acts like Urban Meyer and, and because obviously his, his boss for a long time in terms of what he says and how he conducts himself to the media and, sure. uh, and that sort of thing. But there's also some Spurrier to him. I mean, he 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 wears a visor because of Spurrier is is what he's always said, and obviously he's not alone in that. But there's definitely he does some Spurrier type things where he is not afraid to needle uh, rivals. You know, at at Mississippi State, he always referred to Ole Miss as the school up north. He did some some I think kind of funny ways to troll them with like their uh, if if they won fourteen to to seven or something in in the Egg Bowl, the next year the spring game attendance would be fourteen thousand and seven. You know they would do stuff like that just to kind of needle those guys, and um because they could, and, and we've seen that uh, to some degree at, at at Florida, where you know referring to the the Seminoles as the Semis like Spurrier did. So I think there's some of he's having fun and needling, but then you look at some of the other things that he's done in the last couple of weeks. Obviously the ninety packing ninety thousand at the swamp. Um, you know some people think that was irresponsible and crossed a line. I think, again, just taking my personal opinions of that out of the way. I think one thing he was trying to do was to say, hey, look over here. Don't look at my really bad defense that just collapsed. Don't look at this devastating loss we just had on the road to to Texas A&M in a game that we probably should have won. Look at this 90,000 comment. So I think that's what he might have been trying to do there. And and it worked. And and if it means that he's wearing the black hat or the black helmet, then so be it because it's doing what he thinks is best for the program. Because at, at the end of the day, you know, he'll, he'll have to deal with whatever recruiting fallout there is, but I think he'll be able to justify that in a living room or Zoom or whatever it is. What matters most, though, is whether they win or they lose. Not how good of a person he is, nothing like that. Nick Saban is not a teddy bear, but he's the, the best <laughs> in the business and probably the best ever. And that's ultimately how he will be judged at the University of Florida. Did he win? Did he lose? Not what did he say about the swamp? Did he wear a Darth Vader mask? It's fine. It gives us something to talk about, but at the end of the day, that's not what matters.
2: Well, and along those lines, Dan Mullen and the University of Florida Gators need to win a big football game, and this is one facing them right now, uh, this weekend. They're playing a Georgia team that has a tremendous defense, um, has a pretty good coach in Kirby Smart, has taken Alabama to the brink before, um, still looking to win an SEC title with, uh, you know, of course, you know, get back in the game and win that with Kirby, and and here come the Florida Gators and this is his opportunity. I mean, this is this is a, a, a huge game. And I think Matt will break down this game. But college football is about putting points on the board. And if there's an advantage in this game, it's that, that the University of Florida can do that.
0: Absolutely. You know, one other thing on, on Mullen here. Um we talked about this the other day, but if he wants to be Vader Vader was scary and he was a villain and all that stuff, right? He also lorded over a galaxy. And and, and spoiler <laughs> alert, what did That's he right. do at, at the end of uh, Return of the Jedi? He overthrows an empire. He overthrows the emperor. <laughs> so if we want to talk about Mullen Go and his Darth Vader, here. hey, yeah. beat these guys. Then we can talk about an empire. Then we can talk about what you're really doing here. Um, yeah. And I think this is his best chance to do it. I, I wrote last year and I already regret it that I thought 2019 was going to be his best chance to do it, just because of the roster composition and recruiting and a lot of reasons that made sense at the time. But looking at it now, I think this is his chance. You know, you look at the way the pandemic, I think, hurt uh, that Georgia more than Florida, and just specifically on the field here, because they didn't have the spring with Todd Munkin to put in his offense. You know, Their top quarterback, Jamie Newman, opts out. The next most talented guy, JT Daniels, hasn't been healthy and hasn't been playing. The next most talented guy got benched. So they're down to their fourth-string quarterback. Um, you look at the way their defense is banged up. Richard LeCount, one of the best couple of safeties in the country. He's definitely out. Uh, they've got other injuries and other defensive linemen out. A bunch of guys questionable, banged up. If you were to kind of script a, 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 a movie here for what you would want to happen for the Gators to have a good chance, I think it looks like this, especially when you look at some of the other matchups. Alabama's passing game is really really good their receivers as of a couple of weeks ago were better than florida's but florida's still pretty good and you look at the way they were able to pass for 400 yards and four touchdowns on this georgia secondary and then you take away georgia's uh, star safety you can talk yourself pretty easily into to florida finally winning and, and in fact i did we just published something a little bit ago on our website why i'm picking florida to, to beat georgia this year
2: the Gators' defense, I thought, and I don't know how good Missouri is uh, offensively, but they seem to come to life. They seem to be flying around a little bit. They'll have to do that again. You're right. Georgia is down to their 1, two, three, four, 5, whatever quarterback in Stetson Bennett. Um, they do have Todd Munkin, who people with the Bucks should be familiar with as former receivers, former offensive coordinator, and he's had some pretty good quarterbacks even one year with Baker Mayfield and the Cleveland Browns. So, um, you know, is is there anything that still bothers you about the Gators' defense that 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 somehow Georgia could possibly give them some trouble offensively?
0: Yeah, because I watched the first three games too. You know, I, I was at the fourth <laughs> one, but I also watched the, the first ones. I I remember uh, the the Ole Miss receivers running open in the secondary. Yeah. I remember how the Gators could not tackle in the first half against South Carolina's big back, and how they allowed Will Muschamp to go on a giant. Uh, drive at the end of the fourth quarter because they couldn't get off the field i remember how they couldn't tackle isaiah spiller for a&m and how they continued to get picked apart in the middle of the field in the secondary so those are things that still happen now i do think the gators made some adjustments um in in their their covid two-week layoff that that have helped obviously there's been personnel changes the the big one being Kyrie campbell defensive tackle coming back to the middle of that defense which lets some of the other guys move around zach carter moves around and Britton cox five-star goes from to Moore outside linebacker. So there, there's some personnel changes and, and I think the effort was better and they tackled better. But I, I think a lot of what we saw on Saturday was a product of Missouri not being great, more so than the Gators defense being a lot better. So I do think there were improvements, but I'm still, I'm, I'm not there yet. I'm, I'm, I'm pumping the brakes a little bit. I just don't know that George is going to be the offense that can take advantage of it.
2: Yeah, so you've got you've got the Gators uh, winning this game, and, and I don't know that I, that I disagree with you, but uh, it, it seems like if they're going to do anything, going to reach their goal and, and try to get into the SEC title, this will be one that they'll have to have. Um, we've got some other action, uh, of course, uh, around college football, and a couple conferences came to life after uh, their long layoffs with COVID. We saw some action over the uh, last couple days. We can talk about that, and also the Pac-12 is back as well. Is there a team, Matt, even in this brief, uh, you know, abbreviated season, even shorter maybe than the Big Ten, where you know a team in the Pac-12 could sort of capture the country's imagination and force their way into a uh, Final Four playoff? It's going to be tough, just
0: because they're playing fewer games. Uh, I think it's six, and then the, the title game, if I remember right. Yeah. um it, it all blends together but I think if it's going to happen it'll be Oregon um you mm. know you look at their defense I think they're going to be really good Kayvon Thibodeau uh DN was one of the top like one or two players in the country a couple years ago he came on strong at the end of last year he, he's he has all America potential um Jordan Scott from Pinellas Park in the middle of that line he's a definitely a next level NFL guy who's been you know kind of all all conference on the fringe of that all conference list the last couple of years. Um, and then you add in Joe Moorhead as offensive coordinator for Mississippi state head coach. I think Oregon's going to be pretty darn good. USC is still fascinating because they have a lot of talent, but they haven't put it together in a while. And Clay Helton's like that eternal. Is he, I mean, he's the Jim Harbaugh of the PAC 12, right? Mm. Like, is he going to get it together? Is he good enough to stay? Is he bad enough to go when he's right in that Goldilocks zone where he's neither um so usc is a really interesting program to me in the pac-12 as well i guess i'm interested in washington state w- without mike leach nick rolovich has a is, is an interesting dude um after he got hired he, he at one point said like hey i'm in uh pullman or whatever where's a good bar to go to all right i'm at this bar anyone who wants to come talk wazoo football come meet me. so mm-hmm. he, he's just a, a he's his own beast um but i'm you know jumping up from hawaii i don't know how well he's gonna do um but you you did mention the Maction. So let's I'll, I'll give you two quick Maction highlights from the other night. Absolutely. Um, just because just they're local here. Antonio Nunn, a uh, receiver from Buffalo. Buffalo's a pretty darn good G5 team. Uh, I think they're probably going to win the MAC. Uh, again, uh, Antonio Nunn, receiver from Jefferson, had a great touchdown catch in the bowl game. I think they were in the Bahamas Bowl. And then started off with a very nice touchdown catch against Northern Illinois in a big win uh, the other night. And then uh, the, the other... One of the other big storylines I'm watching in the MAC is uh Robert Weiner, who was the Plant High coach, obviously had a ton of success there, state championships, Aaron Murray, all that stuff. It was his first game as the offensive coordinator, co-offensive coordinator at Toledo. All he did was uh win 38 to 3 and put up 500 yards of offense on Bowling Green.
2: Not a bad debut for him. I think he's going to do well and I saw enough of him at Plant when uh my son was playing for East Lake and he can uh he can call some trick plays as well so he's perfectly suited uh for the Mac and uh I think I think he's going to win a lot of games up there for them with that offense. We've got some other games around the country that are interesting uh to say the very least. Clemson at Notre Dame. Um still without their starting quarterback, how does that one pull out?
0: It's going to be really close. I uh, I don't have a I mean nobody knows because you know Trevor Lawrence is obviously one of the best couple players in the country. Um, DJ Uyungalele is a very talented quarterback, and I mean he's going to be the next Trevor Lawrence type guy or Deshaun Watson. Or, mm-hmm. I don't think that's too high praise. He's he's really really good, but it's his second start, and it's at Notre Dame, which is a really good team with a pretty darn good defense. It's a very tricky spot for them. I I, I don't have a great read on it. I could see it going either way, but I think the matchup that's going to decide that is Travis Etienne. he's the player who's going to decide it for, for Clemson. Now if I had to do a Heisman ballot today, I think etN would be number one on it just because he's so dynamic and the best friend for a quarterback in a situation like DJ is going to be in is a good run game or a guy especially if that running back can catch passes just little screens, dinks and dunks and then you know get 70 yards out of it. So etN to me is the guy to watch on, on Saturday uh, to see if uh, Clemson's going to be able to stay perfect against the Irish.
2: ETN already the ACC's all-time leading rusher, which is really something. Um, Michigan's at Indiana, and I only mention this because uh, Jim Harbaugh uh, lost to Michigan State. That was not a good loss. Uh, there are no good losses for Jim Harbaugh, particularly if it's in the state of Michigan or that team uh, up north uh, you know, with Ohio State. Look, Indiana has uh, done some interesting things. they got some local kids. How much trouble could Harbaugh be in? How much trouble is he in now? And if he loses this game, I would imagine – somehow the heat's going to get turned way up.
0: Yeah, Harpaugh is in such a weird situation because he has this year on his contract and then one more after that. Mm. College coaches don't get into that situation. They're either fired beforehand or they're extended because when right. you're in that limbo like he is now, the coaches can use that against you in recruiting. Oh, look, they don't believe in him or maybe mm. he's going to go to the NFL and you know, there's all that type of stuff. So he's in that weird no-man's land to where I, I don't know what his future is. I, I think it would be hard to see Michigan getting rid of him this year. The more I think about it, just because of the, the optics and the finances and everything. And maybe they just rather have, let next year play out. If he does well enough, he's, they give him another shot. If he doesn't, then he walks. But Indiana is absolutely good enough to hang with them. I, I don't know why they're not. They beat Penn State. They they beat they beat Rutgers, which beat Michigan State, which beat Michigan. So, you know, and you look at Michael Penix, the quarterback from, from uh, Tampa Bay Tech. It's really good. They've got good receivers. Watt failure from Plant. Defense, I think, isn't too bad either. I don't know that I'm going to pick Indiana to win, but I would not be surprised at all if the Hoosiers knocked off the Wolverines. And then we're talking about, uh, what, one and two Michigan, where the one win was against Minnesota, which might not be good.
2: Right. Minnesota's struggling, and uh, that would be quite a win, quite a day, I'm sure, in Bloomington. That'll be uh, interesting to see that game. Any other games you got your eye on, Matt? Cincinnati-Houston? I mean,
0: I think it's time to start really talking seriously about Cincinnati as a playoff contender, Matt. Hmm. You look at the way they you know, they, they smoked. Uh, who was at Memphis a little bit ago. They smoked SMU, I think it was. They're a really good team with a really good defense. Desmond Ritter, I think, has played quite well at quarterback. They absolutely deserve to be in that conversation, especially with this weird year where they're going to play more games than your your Pac-12 guys or something like that. Um, I'm curious to see. I I think Penn State is going to beat Maryland, but I'm not sold on that either. Uh, So there's a legit chance of Penn State maybe falling to 0-3, which is crazy. Um, Florida State and Pitt. I don't have a good read on either of those teams. I just don't. But what I want to see from the Seminoles, I want to see what sort of progress they're continuing to make, especially after the open day, and especially on offense with Jordan Travis, Um, whether he can continue to progress, uh, especially passing, to the point where he might be the quarterback of the future, as opposed to Purdy or or Rotomaker. Um, And then looking just ahead a little bit, kind of at the night shift, any chance you get to watch Coastal Carolina, uh, you know, top 20 team, they're, they're a lot of fun to watch, and it's fun to watch the rando, the rando schools like that. And then finally, uh, Arkansas and Tennessee. Felipe Franks is coming to the Swamp next week, which is going to mm. be a really weird thing that we'll talk a lot mo- more about next week, I'm sure. Absolutely. But I just want to see how he's continuing to progress uh, as, as Arkansas's quarterback in, in that uh, Kendall Briles offense.
2: Certainly helped. Uh, Arkansas to get him uh, in the fold there for as a, um, a fifth-year senior. So that's going to be interesting for sure. He's Matt Baker, and he will be doing yet another Florida-Georgia game. You want to check that out on TampaBay.com and in the Tampa Bay Times. As always, Matt, thanks so much. You got it. Thanks, Rick. Big college football weekend. Really looking forward to the Florida-Georgia game. And um, my thanks to Matt Baker again. Bucks versus Saints Sunday night football. You've been waiting all day for Sunday night. You know you're going to love that game. It's a uh, prime matchup in the NFC South. The winner will probably win the division, I'm guessing. And so uh, the Bucks with a rare chance to go 7-2. How about that with Tom Brady? Hey, folks, make sure you visit our friends at Breitling Boutique. You know they're in International Plaza. It's only one of 15 in the United States, and you've got to check out these beautiful Swiss timepieces. Check out the Chronomat Bentley, which is one of my favorites, a stainless steel, and, and the uh, Super Ocean Heritage – especially the 57 limited edition. Try on these watches because, believe me, you're going to want one. Uh, put it on your wrist and see how it looks because that's what is worn by Hall of Fame quarterbacks and boxers, and, and they got all these uh, you know great athletes and celebrities as clients. But you can be one, too. They're going to treat you as good as they treat anybody, and all you have to do is tell them that Rick and Steve sent you, and get this, you will get a free $60 Breitling cap just by trying on the watch. So go see our friends at Brightling Boutique in International Plaza. For Steve Bursnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great weekend, everybody.